0: There are different ways of talking about God's will. There's God's general will, there's God's specific will, there's God's moral will, there's God's permissive will. We're going to say something about all of those. God's general will, this, this is defining general parameters within which God's specific will can be discerned. In other words, these are true for everyone. It is always God's will, for example, that we do not sin. Sin, by sin I mean uh, doing something that hurts oneself, others, or the creation. Going against the commandments, for example. And these, the Ten Commandments are are found in, in some similar fashion in all of the world's religions. God's permissive will allows for wrongdoing. God gives us free will. And, and, and within that freedom, we can do wrong. We can choose wrong. And God's permissive will allows for that. God's moral will, however, disapproves of wrongdoing. And so the do not sin part is recognizing that. That there are some things that are not God's will. And so discernment is never about doing something that is sinful or wrong. Especially if we know it's wrong, and and we have clarity about that. Another part of God's general will, and you find it in the first of the Ten Commandments, is to love God above all. The most important uh, principle that we can mention tonight, we'd be spending our time well if we gave a webinar just on that. What does it mean to put God first? To fulfill that first great commandment, putting God first orients the will properly toward its true goal, which is union with God. So think of that first uh, commandment from the uh, the Hebrew Scriptures: "I am the Lord your God; you will not have strange gods before me." And Jesus two great commandments: "You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, whole soul, whole mind, whole strength." that's pretty complete. I'll give you a question here. How do we do this? What are some ways that we can put God first to love God above all? I'll just pause here and and uh, give you a few few moments to think about that. And those of you who would like to write a response, feel free to do so. If you would like to share it with everyone else, fine. If you want to share it with just me, that's fine. I won't I won't mention your name if you do it like that. Okay, so at least we we give that some thought here. What does it mean to put God first? A very important consideration there. Um, Here's one comment that came just to me. One example would be changing plans to accommodate a legitimate need of another. So. Another person's need, I put my own need aside, and I put God first by by showing love for this person. Here's a comment, I always thought that we are created so that we could be loved by God, and this would naturally make us want to know love and serve God and want to be happy with God forever. So God's love for us, it's what I'm hearing here, is what enables us to want to love and return, to respond to God. And that seems to be the point made in uh, the first letter of John, uh, chapter four, that we love because, because he loved us first. That our love is a return of a love that is already given, a love that is received and returned. Is that what you're trying to say here? That certainly makes sense to me. In fact, I'm quite sure that I, I don't have a great deal of love for God uh, in and of myself. I hate to put it that way, but I mean, I love the idea and so forth, but love itself is God. And so it is. it is a receiving of God's gift and a return of that gift. But putting God first then would mean making that the great priority to receive that love and to return that love. So again, we, we come to the issue there of, of spiritual practices, prayer, reading, relationships, and so forth, uh, that, that enable us to put God first. <clears throat> we become like that, which or whom we love. That's a powerful spiritual principle. Did you ever think of it that way? We become like that, which or whom we love. I've even seen pictures of people who kind of start to look like their dogs. I mean, that's kind of an extreme funny example, but they love their dogs a lot and they kind of look alike. Husbands and wives can start to kind of look like each other in a way, take on some of the same characteristics. Um, But God's love enables us to become God-like. And... uh, um, then it enables us to evaluate life in the light of God's love. And that's what discernment is about. Of course, the loving of neighbor and self. These are so general. You've heard this a million times, but they're, again, foundational for discernment. And, of course, the creation. How we put our love of God into practice. Um, we ask the question, sometimes this is this is another way of, of discerning God's will. It's like, what is God's will? Another way would be to say, what is the loving thing to do? Since God is love and God calls us to make a response of love, then discernment is about, in one sense, what is the loving thing to do? And of course, that's not always an easy question to answer either. Because love here needs to be carefully qualified. It's not simply a fuzzy feeling. It's not not simply an attraction. It's, it's a movement of the will. It's a decision that we make, in fact, a decision that is moved by the Spirit. And then finally, in God's general will, uh, doing God's will in, in, uh, for happiness and authenticity is developing your talents. Each of us has unique endowment of natural and spiritual gifts. God made each of us to use those talents in loving service. In other words, it's God's will that you be you, that you express your unique gifts in your unique service. Discovering and developing one's gifts is a good and holy thing, and that is an ongoing process as well. Certainly tempting as we get a little older, and I'm in my 60s now, to say, oh, I know what my gifts are. But you know, you can constantly be discovering new gifts. And sometimes it takes other people to help us discover our gifts. When I was in grad school in biology, uh, my first career, I I had a knack for uh, dashing off scientific papers running them through the mimeograph machine and sticking them into everybody's mailbox, which I'm sure annoyed some of my my colleagues. But one day I had a professor come to me and say, um, you know, you, you must really like writing. These papers uh, are very well done. He said, you're a good writer. Now, nobody had ever told me, oh, I got A's on English papers and things like that, but you know. You, you jump through the right hoops, that's what happens. But uh, I had never claimed that gift until that man said that. And it, it it occurred to me, I enjoy writing and I'm very careful about it and so forth. And so I began to claim that gift in my life. And and his words that day uh, sort of began to move my, my life in a new direction. I love the quote from Oscar Wilde. Be yourself, everyone else is already taken. Uh, again, these these principles for doing God's general will are so very basic. We've been hearing about them since we were in youth group, right? But I don't think we ever get very far away from them. We we need to constantly ask ourselves, how might we be slipping into sin? How are we putting God first? How are we loving neighbor and self and developing our talents? Okay. Now, God's particular will, probably the part we're all interested in here, because this is where it can really get tricky. So even if you're doing everything I'm talking about, being here now in love, being very attentive to these principles of uh, fulfilling God's general will, there are times in life when we seem to come to a fork in the road. There are decisions that need to be made, large decisions, and we're very happy to continue to be here now in love, but do I go this way or that way as I do so? It can be about changing careers, to marry or not to marry, to have a child, and many others. One important thing is that the kind of discernment I'm about to talk about does usually pertain to rather large decisions or significant decisions that will affect our lives, our quality of life and others. It does not pertain to uh, very small things. And I have a quote here from Francis de Sales about that, that I think is, uh, is very good. <clears throat> uh, it is not necessary to agonize over God's will in choosing between healthy options in the small affairs of everyday life. Ordinarily, there is nothing of such obvious importance in one option rather than the other that there is need to go into long deliberation over it. You must proceed in good faith and without making subtle distinctions in such affairs and, as St. Basil says, do freely and what seems good to you so as not to weary your mind, waste your time, and put yourself in danger of disquiet, scruples, and superstition. Should I go to the store or sweep the room uh, or cut the grass? Oh, uh, just pick one, pick one and do it, right? That's not what we're talking about discernment. But I do know people who do get caught up in small things like that. So. <clears throat> Uh, Again, God's particular will is uh, in the context of God's general will. It's regarding specific decisions uh, in one's life, and it's listening for God's preference. That's, That's what it's about. It's like I could do A, B, or C, or maybe even more, and which among these might God have a preference for me? And so that's what discernment is really, really attuned to, is of what might be God's preference among the different options that I'm facing. So, again, it's never about uh, choosing wrong versus right. Um, usually it's between two goods. And there's an old saying here, it's pretty important one, it's that the enemy of the best is the good. So sometimes in discernment we we we're looking at options that are good, and we could say, "Oh, well, any one of these is fine, but maybe one of them is the best, and that's what discernment is about trying to to um, um, listen for. We state clearly all the options, and now we're moving into Saint. Ignatius's territory here, his guidelines for discernment. What are the options? We state them as clearly as possible. We try to envision what option A would look like if I were to really make that decision and move into that new direction in my life. Or option B, what would that one look like? And so you need obviously at least two options, but be alert for more. Years ago, in around 1989, I was something of an itinerant uh, retreat director and workshop presenter, self-employed, also working at alcohol and drug abuse treatment centers. And I came upon a time in in life where that had gotten old, all the travel, and we had small children at home, and uh, there was just a need to try to settle somewhere, but there wasn't enough work where we lived in Baton Rouge. So we got an invitation to come to work in Wichita. So there's an option. It was a very clear job offer to join the Spiritual Life Center in Wichita. Option B was to continue as I was, working part-time at the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Treatment Center, going around doing retreats and workshops, or maybe there's option C. Get a, quote, real job somewhere that has a salary and uh, in Baton Rouge. So the job offer from Wichita precipitated a discernment process, and we stated the options, and we started to really think about that and pray about that. And That's one of the biggest discernment processes I've been through in my life, and so I'll be sharing with you how that goes. Next, you list the pros and cons for each option. And sometimes, like moving to Wichita, you don't know all the pros and cons because you've you 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 haven't entered into that experience. You don't know what the the people are like, what the job would be like, what the weather is like. A uh, whole bunch of uh, things that you're just not aware of. You can research it, but you do the best you can. You include practical things like the financial implications, everything you can come up with, and the pros and cons, including of course the congruence with your own gifts. How these options actualize your natural talents and your spiritual gifts. How will others in your life be affected by this? What do your loved ones hope you will do? And so forth. Those are all part of the pros and cons. And we had every family member in Louisiana hoping that we would choose to stay in Louisiana so this there were grandchildren involved my parents grandchildren and my wife's grandchildren so be very honest here part d or number four which option is your preference and it is okay to have a preference you probably can't not have a preference one of the options that you really really are most excited about So uh, in, in 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 this case, in particular case of moving or not to move, I didn't really have a strong preference, which was kind of unusual. I knew what Baton Rouge had been about, and it would have been more of the same to continue. Didn't know what Wichita would have been about. That was kind of exciting. But I was kind of neutral, which is a great place to be. Um, if you have a strong preference, You acknowledge it and you lay it at the feet of God saying, I have this preference, but if you have something that you would like me to do more, if that is not your preference, then let me know that. Give me sufficient detachment to hear your preference among the other options. So there we go. Hold all the options before God in detachment. And again, detachment doesn't mean that you let go of your preference. Um. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if you're willing, let this cup uh, pass away from me. So he has a preference. He doesn't want to go through this. He would really it'd rather not unfold, and he had have to go through this, at least in that moment. That's what he was feeling. Then, then he, he, he comes to the place of detachment. However, let it be as, as you would will and not as I. That's detachment. I'm willing to do God's will. Knowing that once God makes God's uh, preference available, uh, known to us, uh, our our preference will probably change. Then finally, have a cutoff date for making a decision. Now, we had that because the retreat center needed to know if I was going to come on the staff or not. So they said, we want your answer by March 1st of 1990. So March, uh, so uh, all through December and January, we prayed about it. We dialogued about it. Um, We went through the discernment process. Sometime in the middle of February, I noticed the thoughts in my head changing from um, when, if we move to Wichita to when we move to Wichita. If we move to when we move. And that was happening to my wife as well. And the cutoff date, I think, was helpful. You just can't let this thing drag on forever. So the closer we got to the cutoff date, the more clarity there was. Finally, confirming a discernment. In a good discernment, and uh, the Wichita decision ended up being a good discernment for us, for my wife and I even though nobody else was happy about that. (laughs) Our family wasn't too happy about it. There was a sense of peace and rightness about it. And I know that seems kind of nebulous, but it's very real. Um, This spiritual peace, I'm sure you've all experienced it and tasted it. It's, It's something that's very, very tangible in a way. And you know when it's missing. And so the peace settles in. Thoughts of going in the other direction didn't feel as peaceful or right. So after we sort of said, okay, let's live with this decision before we make it wrong, just between us. Every time we think of the other options, there wasn't peace about that. It was like a heaviness. Others affected by the decision uh, also feel peaceful. And the ones who mattered most for us in this case were our children and they were they were quite fine with it. our extended family um were okay enough they they recognized that they had no right to tell us what to do. They had preferences that we stay, but in the end they uh they were helpful, they helped us to move, and in fact participated in these supportive circumstances that often confirms the discernment as well. We might call them synchronicities. Things start to fall in place to support the decision. Getting a moving van for a good price, volunteers to help load the truck, funding to pay for the move, favorable housing in Wichita. All these were to us evidence of God's providential care at work to support this decision. It reinforced it in many ways. So that would be a a way of confirming it. Need to note, however, that sometimes we go through this discernment process without this sense of rightness or synchronicities or anything else. I've had a number of times directees who were uh, ministers who, who came to a place where they felt it was time to move on. I've given this congregation everything I have. They need someone else, and I need to go somewhere else. At least I think I do. Because you can always sort of uh, find a new way to minister within the same congregation. Some people do for decades. So in spiritual direction, we went through the process. And uh, in in the end, it came out that it didn't seem as though God had a great preference among these options. But it was still a good thing to have undergone the process of discernment. All it meant was that uh, make your own choice. You're still living within the parameters of your call. You're still being obedient and responsive to your basic call, whether you do it here in this place or somewhere else. Doesn't seem to matter to God at all. So uh, there are times when, when we don't really have... Uh, uh, a great A great sense of God's preference among the options, and then I think we just use our dis- our own reason to make the best choice after consulting with others, especially those who are most affected.